You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. If you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and go to 1 Kings chapter 18. And I uh, hope you have your Bibles, and I hope you know where 1 Kings is. Kind of go towards the front. If you get to Genesis, take a right. And uh, then if you get to 2 Kings, just kind of flip back a few pages, and then you'll have it. Um, we're, we're excited about having our kids in here today. All the kids in, from kindergarten to fifth grade that are in here, could you just give me, a, give me a wave? Can you wave at me? Let me see where you guys are at all over the place. Good to have you in here. Welcome. It's an awesome place in here. I hope you're uh, having fun. And they should have received like a little, uh, little guide when they walked in, a little activity sheet. If you didn't get that, you can walk back there and, and uh, grab one of those to kind of keep them and uh, bribe them if they fill in the blanks. I don't know. They get something. I don't know. That's just between you guys. But uh, we're excited to kind of continue to go through uh, the, the book of 1 Kings and just really see from the, the life of Elijah today. And um, oh, forgot. This is the last week of the wall out here. So the wall is coming down. And then that's a good thing. <laughs> so yeah, we're excited about that. And um, we have one more week to kind of get the rooms ready and that kind of thing. So next Sunday, we still won't be able to use it. But the following Sunday, we'll be back to normal. <sighs> and all you guys got to go to the cafe today because base camp wasn't in there. It's just been a good day already, hasn't it? It's been awesome. So um, I think that's all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One last thing. Um, if I keep thinking, I'll keep thinking of stuff. Um, on our website, foothillschurch.com slash Elijah, you will find the uh, reading guide to read through the, the book of First Kings. And so I really encourage you guys, as we go through the life of Elijah, obviously we can't cover every single detail of his life, uh, but I want you guys to read through it. It's awesome to kind of see the content, the background of everything that's going on uh, in his life and then around this to the nation of Israel. So I encourage you guys to do that. But um, this is my favorite time of year, by the way. I'm a spring guy. I love spring. Anybody love spring? I love the, 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 the just kind of the, all the flowers coming out, just all the greenery coming out. But the biggest and the greatest thing about spring is March Madness. All right. I'm just telling you, March Madness in the NCAA tournament is the greatest thing about spring. Now, some of you guys that don't follow that, you're like the NCAA. What is that like a club? What is that? That's a basketball tournament. It's a college basketball tournament every year. Greatest teams in America play. And it's amazing. How many of you guys filled out a bracket? May fill out a bracket. How many of your brackets are busted? Okay, more hands raised when I said busted. So I, uh, we, we did a, like a, a bracket, like all of our staff and some of the folks in my small group were, were all in kind of a little pool together. And, and I, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that likes to brag and I'm not going to say who's in first place or anything like that. I am. But I'm not going to like say that out loud and brag about that or, or you know, I, I really don't want to point out who's in last place, Greg is, but I, I don't want to make that a, a big deal today. I want to really focus on, on the word and you know, the fact that, you know, my wife is beating every guy on staff is not an issue either. And so we just, we just don't want to talk about it. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy with my bracket thus far. And uh, even in my family bracket, I'm winning. So it's just, it's just good all the way around. And, and I'm not, by the way, I don't feel like, like three different brackets. I'm a purist. You fill out one bracket and you go with it. Is anybody with me on that? Just, nobody, nobody cares. Okay. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. So um, the thing that I love the most about the tournament is that you never know who's going to win. There was a guy that offered um, the person that got the entire bracket correct, like didn't miss one game, uh, he would give a billion dollars. That's a billion with a B. And the reason why that offer is made is because nobody's ever gotten all the games right and probably never will because you just never know who's going to win. Like the ana analysis and all the guys that, you know, know everything about each team, they still get it wrong half the time. And the reason is because there are some teams who on paper, they shouldn't beat these great teams. 
They're not as fast. They're not as big. They're not as strong. Um, And so on paper, they shouldn't win. But then the underdog goes out there and wins. And sometimes it's a last second shot. If you you stayed up last night and watched Wisconsin, what a game. I mean, come on, that was an incredible game. And and then UT, oh, but UT did great. But, but, you know, the last last kind of calls didn't go our way. But, but for instance, UT was an underdog from the very beginning. And yet they, they beat teams that they shouldn't have, have beaten. And that's so much fun to watch. So it doesn't matter if it's, it's Dayton, like nobody knows anything about Dayton. But when you see the, that school beat the larger school, it's like, yeah, that was awesome. You know, that's what makes a tournament great. Um, and what I know about basketball is, is like the, the underdog teams that win in these games. It, there, there's a combination of a hundred different things that we could talk about. But I think if you boil down why those teams win, it's, it comes down to one word, and that word is commitment. Like those teams that come out and, and prove that they're, you know, they are better and that they can beat the teams that they're not supposed to, to beat, it really comes down to commitment and not just commitment this month. It was commitment like several months ago, last summer, when they first started working out and training and practicing and sweating and, and working out. That's when the commitment started because they were committed to make themselves better. They were committed to the coach's plan. They, they were committed to each other to play as a team. And then it just shows down the stretch when they're in the tournament in the big game. But the commitment had already been made. You see, the, the funny thing about making commitments and like being strong and, and following through with that commitment is it does something in your life. And one of the biggest things that, that I, I believe it does is it allows you to have great expectations. So if I'm committed to my team and I'm committed to working out, I'm committed to practicing and, and the team goes out on the court to play, if that commitment is there, then when I walk out onto the floor, I expect to win. And everybody on my team expects to win because we're committed to what we're doing. We're committed to each other. It doesn't matter who we're playing. If it's a number one seed or whoever it is, we're going to win. So there's that expectation. You know, one of the things I think that's missing in a lot of churches in our country is that level of commitment that leads to expectation. Because we've got so many Christians that are showing up on Sunday morning around our country or showing up just because it's habit, just because it's, you know, it's who they are and what they do. Like we get up and we go to church, our kids need it. It's part of our culture. It's part of our tradition. I grew up doing it, so we got to do it. And so we just get into this habit of going to church, but there's not this real level of commitment to like walking with God. It's just something that we do. And then as a result of really not committing our life to God and just kind of doing it as a, as a cultural thing is there's no real expectation. So there's no expectation that God is going to show up and do something great on a Sunday morning. God is not going to show up and do something awesome in your small group when you meet. You don't, you don't expect people to get saved. You don't expect people uh, in their life and their marriage to be transformed as a result of God's power. It's like the expectation just, you know, seeps out the windows and out the door because, you know what, we're not really committed and therefore we don't really expect God to really change our heart, to change our marriage, to change my relationships, to answer my prayers when I pray to him, to answer, you know, the physical condition that maybe somebody's going through. And so we just kind of neglect it. And as a result, we have powerless churches, you know, we have people that aren't making a difference in their community, in their city. And, and, and it's staggering and it's disappointing. But I, I see in the life of Elijah, a guy who is passionate about his walk with the Lord and who is courageous and who stands up and who fights and who stands in the gap and who doesn't care what culture says around them and doesn't care what's happening. He will walk with the Lord. And so today, I think it really boils down to really kind of questioning where your commitment is. And are you really, truly walking in obedience with the Lord? Are you truly walking with Him? Last week we talked about the comfort zone and how we, in order to grow, we've got to get outside of our comfort zone. 
If all we want to do is be comfortable and safe and never take any risk and never, you know, really stretch ourselves to do something that we feel like God is calling us to do, then we just kind of stay safe. And playing it safe never allows you to grow. And so if you truly want to grow, God takes you out of your comfort zone. Just like Elijah last week sends him into the desert for three years. Ravens are bringing him food, taking care of him in the morning and in the evening. And there's a brook that, that he gets his water from that, 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 that sustains him. And so for three years, God's training him and prepping him and growing him, teaching him to trust God. When it doesn't look like I can trust him, he's trusting. And he's teaching him what it means to walk with him and to follow him. And even when things are isolated and things don't look like they're going to work out, he's teaching him what it means to follow and trust him. So then fast forward, now we see a little bit different uh, here today. And, and I want to talk today about the neutral zone. So the neutral zone is not so much where Elijah is, but it's where the nation of Israel is. So, so the encouragement today is like, are we, last week was, are you, are you in the comfort zone? It's time to get out. Today it's, are you in the neutral zone? So, so what is the neutral zone? Before we jump into the word, the, the neutral zone is when the old is gone but the new hasn't fully come into your life. It's not really operational. In other words, the old part of you is gone. I'm not who I used to be, but I, I'm not yet walking with God. You know, I, I have a new nature, so to speak, you know, because I've accepted Christ, but I'm yet, not yet walking in that new nature, what it means to, to really follow God. My identity is not really found in Christ yet. My old identity is gone because I'm not that person anymore. And yet I haven't really accepted my new identity in Christ. So it's kind of like a limbo. It's kind of like I don't, I'm I'm uncomfortable. Think of it like this in the business world. Like if you get a promotion and you're the manager. And so now you're managing and you, and you were just like, you know, somebody that was, you know, kind of doing the menial stuff and now you're managing. Now, the first few months of that job, you're going to feel a little outside of your comfort zone, aren't you? You're going to feel like, well, I'm, I don't quite know what I'm doing yet. I'm, I'm not quite used to it. And I'm, I'm kind of getting a feel for this new job. But I can't go back to the old job because that's, that's not who I am anymore. I have a new identity. I'm, I'm a leader. I'm a manager now. And you're not yet walking into that role quite yet. You're still learning and growing and kind of figuring that out. And so the neutral zone, some of you, it would help, be helpful to kind of explain it like this. You're, you're just riding the fence. You're riding the fence of religion, of following God. So you've kind of got one foot in the world, kind of living for the world when you want to and and doing the worldly thing and kind of chasing the worldly dream. But then you kind of dip your foot into the church world on Sunday. And so you're not fully walking with God. You're not not truly walking in in the world so much, but you're just kind of riding the fence. And you just imagine yourself riding a fence right now. Not very comfortable, especially if you're a guy. I'm just saying, okay, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable riding the fence. And it's frustrating if, if, if you truly understand and know who Jesus is, it is very frustrating in your life today if you're still trying to ride the fence and live for the world Monday through Saturday and show up on Sunday and try to be a Christian. You're frustrated. So what Elijah would say today, and I think what God's word is going to teach us today, is that, is that we've got to make a decision. And it's time to truly step into that role as a, as a follower of Christ today. Let me start with this phrase that kind of kickstarts us and gets us going. But to achieve the results God desires, you first have to become the leader God requires. So for, for you and I, we want the desires. We want God to answer us. We want God to you know, bless us. We want God to give us all these great and wonderful things. But we forget that this is about you becoming the man, you becoming the woman that, that, and the leader that God requires you to be. 
So that means I've got to walk with him in obedience and, and, and I've got to stop disobeying him, get off the fence and begin to follow him. And as I become the leader that he requires, then the desires of my heart, then the desires that God has for my life and the plan that he has for my life begins to unfold. Let's look at what the Bible says. Let's, let's start beginning in chapter 18. Let's just read uh, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, verse 1. I'm not going to get to read the, the entire chapter today, so we're just kind of keep your Bible open. We'll, we'll kind of hit the, the most important parts here. But verse 1 says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. In the third year. So he was there three years on his own in that area. In the third year, go, show yourself to Ahab. Who's Ahab? The king. Thank you. He was the king. Go show yourself to the king, and I will send rain upon the earth. Now, the king is trying to kill him. (laughs) The king hates him. The king's wife hates him. And God says, go show yourself to the king. What's your first thought going to be? I'm not quite sure I understood that. Let me pray about that, God. (laughs) You know, I'm not sure. Did you say king or ring? I I mean, it was a little confusing here. So God tells him to do something that was, I'm sure, extremely, um, just extremely hard for him. Now, hop down. Uh, let's go to verse 17. Verse 17, same chapter. He says, says this, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, or Caramel. I don't know if you're from the south, if it's different for you. <laughs> Just kidding. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So if you're taking notes, we've, we've definitely got to get out of the neutral zone. I'm going to give you four reasons why. But the first reason that we have to get out of the neutral zone is that obedience matters to God. Obedience matters to God. He tells Elijah, go before the king. Here's what I want you to tell him. He obeys. Now he's telling, gather all of Israel because something is about to go down here that is, is going to blow your mind. And so let's keep reading. Here's what he says, verse 20. And so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? In other words, how long are you going to ride the fence? How long are you going to try to straddle religion and the world? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And, and this is the question that is raised today that you've got you've to wrap your mind around and you've got to decide kind of where you land on the issue. Like if God is God, then follow him. If he's not your God, then fine. Go into the world, stop, you know, being a hypocrite, stop playing the church game and just go do it. It's like decide, make a commitment. If God is God, follow him. Why? Because your obedience matters. It matters to God. It matters for your family. It matters in our walk with the Lord. Now, here, here's, here's something that's really, uh, uh, what, he, what he says to the king always, it's just amazing, like the courage that it took. Remember, the king wants to kill him. King could have killed him at this point. But when, when he's called the troubler of Israel, he's saying, you're the reason why there's a drought. There's, there's no rain you know, there's not only is there no rain, but there's not even any dew in the morning. No moisture at all. And so the king is blaming Elijah for this. And he, look what he says. I mean, he says, no, it's not me. It's you in your father's house. Because why? Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. 
Here's the deal. I wonder if some of you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. It's like you know what you should be doing. You know how you should be living. And yet you're, you're kind of kind of balancing and stepping one foot into the church and, and, and stepping one foot back into the world. And you're abandoning the commandments of God. You see, that's a dangerous place to be. Why? Because your obedience matters. Your obedience matters to God. Are you abandoning the commandments of the Lord? Now, let's continue as we look through here. Uh, verse 22, he says, Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I alone, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it in the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I'll call upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So here's, here's the test. Elijah says, we're going to make an altar. I'm going to make an altar. You make an altar. We're going to cut up a bull. We're going to put it on the wood. And then you're going to call out to your God, Baal, who was the God of, their, the God of fire for them. So, so the, the, the God of the sun, the God that produces the crops and grows the crops. So, so surely the God of Baal, your God, who is the God of the sun, is, is not going to have any problems with, with fire. And they say, sure, that's not a big deal. We're, that's fine. So they, they cut up the animal, they put it on the altar, and then they begin to pray to their God. And the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, this is ver- Baal, verse 25, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it, for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. And so from morning till noon, they're crying out to their God and nothing is happening. There is no fire. There is no nothing. And so this is, this is my favorite part, verse 27. At noon, so they've been going all day, you know, now it's noon and nothing's happening. And here's what Elijah says. He mocks them and he says, cry aloud. In other words, maybe you should be crying a little bit louder for he's a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. So this is hilarious. I mean, he's sarcastic and he's jabbing him. You know, he's digging. He's like, maybe he's off taking a walk. You know, he's a God. Maybe he's asleep. So just yell louder. You have to wake him up. Or, you know, maybe he's relieving himself. That's exactly what it means. Kids, he's off. You know, maybe he's in the potty. That's basically what it means. Maybe he's in the potty. And so maybe you just got to wait till he's done. Hopefully he washes his hands when he comes back. And then, then, then he'll be ready to answer you. But nothing happens. There is no answer to them. And so in verse 28, they cry louder and they cut themselves with swords and lances, trying to appease the God Baal to answer them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answers. No one paid attention. And the reason no one pays attention is because there is only one God and he is the Lord. And he is about to show himself in an unbelievable way in the lives of the Israelites and Elijah and maybe for you today. So what Elijah does is he rebuilds the altar and he lays 12 stones around the altar to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. 
and he puts the, the wood up and then he puts the, 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 the animal sacrifice on top of the wood. And then he tells them to go and get a jar of water and to, to douse, you know, the animal in the wood with water. So they go, they get water and they douse it with water. And he says, do it a second time. So they go back and they get more water and they bring it back and they douse it a, a second time. And he says, do it a third time. And so this, the, the wood is completely saturated. The bull is completely saturated with water now, as if to say, I'm going to show you just how incredible this God that I serve is. And so the Bible says that there was so much water, it began to fill the trough around the sacrifice. And then here's what Elijah says in verse 36. This is the prayer. Now, remember, anytime in the Bible we, we see prayers, oftentimes they're not 20 minute prayers. You know, they're, they're usually short, to the point, answer me God prayers, and then God like, like does amazing, miraculous things. This is important to remember. He says this, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. In other words, I've obeyed you and I'm doing all this because you have led me to do this. So he's walking with God in obedience. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may what? May know that I am a pretty amazing guy. Answer me, God, that, that I w- my, my income would go up and you would bless me with the finances and the cars that I was hoping that I would always one day have that I would be known as a pretty cool, amazing follower of God. No, that's not what he says. He says, God, answer me that this people may know that you are Lord. You are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. So he didn't just burn the sacrifice in the wood. The dust, the stone, The water is all licked up, the Bible says, and licked up that the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, if you're taking notes, the reason why every single one of us have to get out of this neutral zone is number two, your obedience inspires other people to love God. So your obedience inspires other people to love God. The reason why these folks were so amazed is because they saw God at work through Elijah. They see the power of God in his life. And I just wonder, do others see the power of God in our life? Do others see the power of God in our church? Because I promise you this, if they see it, they will want it. And so we're never going to see the power of God if we're straddling the fence and, and kind of playing with God and we're not fully following him. Because folks, obedience to God is not just about you. It's about those that belong to the Lord as well. It's about others. Maybe you are the only person in their life that knows Jesus. So you're, you're their only chance. You're their only lifeline. What have they seen in you Monday through Saturday? Are they seeing the work of God? Because the people saw it and they fell to their faces. They saw God move and they fell to their faces in worship. Now, when I look back on my life, 
you know, being a knucklehead as a high school kid and then in college and, and just being rebellious and, and growing up in church. I, my, my dad was the pastor. And so I knew all the answers. I knew more about the Bible than most people in the church at a very young age. And so I used that to my advantage and uh, not to a good advantage. It wasn't locked spiritually like I, I didn't accept it. I just knew it kind of in my head, like figures and facts. And so when I look back at the people that truly like helped, you know, facilitate change in my life and, and, and lead me into a, a healthy relationship with the Lord, I see some consistency across the board, whether it was my father, my, my, my older brother, um, my sisters, or there was three other pastors in my life that impacted me greatly. The one thing that they all have in common is not that they are great teachers or, you know, that they, they know a lot about the Bible necessarily. The one factor in every single one of their life is that they have a passion for Jesus. And there was no inconsistency there. There was no waffling one side or the other. Like the people that made the greatest impact on my life were sold out, 100% committed to Jesus. I'm following him. There is no question whether or not, you know, we're going to serve and love him. There's no question. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not wrestling with, you know, who he is. I know he is. I'm following him. And, and brother, I'm there. Count me in. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there are people in your life that are looking at you. And I just wonder what kind of influence we are having upon them. See, everybody in this room is a leader in some respect because leadership is just influence. And so we all have influence of of, of folks in our family, people at work. We all have some form of influence. Some are greater than others, but we have influence. And so if we are riding the fence, you know what our, our influence is today? It's negative. It's a negative influence. The alternative is what would it look like in your life if you gave 100% of your life to the Lord and you truly walked with Him in obedience? Just, just think of the lives that could potentially change as a result of your obedience. Think of the number of people in this story whose lives were changed because one man went up against 850 pagan priests who at any moment could have turned and killed him. His life is at stake. He looks around. He's the only one there that's, that's, that's voting for and fighting for the one true God. And yet his courage and his stance was strong. There was no weakness. And I'm sure he was scared and I'm sure he was intimidated. But at the same time, his prayer to God is answered. His prayer was humble. His prayer was short, but his prayer was powerful. I don't know about you, but there's nothing that builds my faith more than when God answers prayer. And I think when God, you know, sees uh, us and, and, and see, hears our prayer and we're including other people in that prayer and what we're praying for, and then God answers that prayer, people see God moving in that. So I think it's huge that we pray with people at work, that we tell them we're praying for them, that we are praying out loud at home in front of our families and our, and our kids. That, like this is a, a model that this is a need. This is something that we want to go before God on behalf of. And we're going to go and we're going to pray for him. And then when God answers, it's like, yes, we just saw God move. I got a quick story. Of course, when I say quick story, it's about a three hour story. But I'm going I'm to narrow it down to a few minutes. But uh, anybody ever go to the Knoxville Zoo? Anybody? Zoo? Zoo people? Zoo is, is growing. It's getting really good, actually. And so we've gone a handful of times, and, and we love it. And my kids love animals, always have. And in fact, every one of my kids has a favorite animal. 
And so I don't know why we didn't like teach them that, hey, everybody's got to have a favorite animal in this house. But it didn't happen. But like my oldest daughter, her favorite animal is a panda. So anything panda, she loves. And that's Bailey. And she, she just kind of started that deal, I think. And so my son came along, uh, Bryson, and he loves elephants. And so elephants are his deal. And he just, he just loves them. And then uh, Brooke came along. She's our third. And she loves giraffes. And so giraffes have always been her thing. And so their rooms reflect this, okay? So it's, it's pandas and giraffes and elephants. Then my youngest daughter, Blakely, she loves kitty cats. And so um, that's just kind of who she is. And, and so when we go to the zoo, everybody wants to go see their favorite animal. Of course, we don't have pandas here in Knoxville, but we've been in Atlanta, which is cool, too, to see those down there. But, but Every time we go, especially at the Knoxville Zoo, they've got this new thing over the last uh, year where you can actually feed the giraffes. And so they have this big, tall platform because giraffes are pretty tall. And so when the giraffes come over, because it's tall, when you climb up like their little heads, imagine this is a giraffe head, comes right here to the fence and you can feed the giraffes. And so my, my third uh, uh, child, Brooke, she has always longed to feed the giraffes. And so we had been there uh, at two or three different times where we've tried to go feed the giraffe. And you can't make the giraffe come. He just comes when he's hungry, when he wants to, and then people feed him. And so every time we've gone, he, he's not been around or she, n- none of them have come. And so, you know, of course, my, my little daughter's her heart was broken every time. Daddy, I'm not going to get to feed the giraffes this time either. It's like, I just, my, my lifelong dream is to feed a giraffe. And I'm like, babe, you know, we're going to do it one day. And so we decided to go over spring break. And so the night before we went, I said, honey, let's pray that, that God lets, lets you um, feed a giraffe tomorrow. And she said, oh, daddy, that would, that would make my day. That would be the greatest day of my life if I could feed that giraffe. And I was like, okay, well, let's pray. So we prayed and uh, we prayed that God would let her do that. And, and after we prayed, we said, amen. And she said, daddy, do you think I'm going to get defeated? And I said, honey, we prayed about it. And I believe that God can answer that. And it may be the day. And so we went. So here we are at the zoo. We get to the, uh, we finally get to the giraffe area and the giraffe is not up into that area. He's not feeding. And so he's just kind of, they're all kind of doing their thing. And so we sit down in the little food court area. We eat some snacks. We're just kind of sitting there and I'm praying in my, my head, God, would you please, for all that is holy, send that stinking giraffe over there and make my daughter's day. Please, you know, you're the God of the universe, you know. So we're sitting there and sure enough, that giraffe started making his way. So I was like, all right, babe, here we go. Come on, get your stuff together. We ran up there, you know, and we got in line and it was like all the kids are like, you know, crowding around. The giraffe comes over and, and the lady that works there, she starts feeding him. She turns and she says, who wants to feed the giraffe? And Brooke was like, I want to feed the giraffe. And I was like, oh, I'm getting my phone out, you know, and I'm, I'm getting ready to video. And then the, the lady at the zoo said, that'll be five dollars. Oh, okay, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a debit card guy. I never have cash. If you rob me, you're going to be disappointed. But I look and I see green. So I'm like, one, two. I only had $3. So I said to the lady, I was like, hey, I've only got $3. And she said, sorry, it's five. And I went, are you kidding me? Brooke looked at me and tears started to come up into her eyes. And she said, daddy, does that mean I can't feed the drafts today? And I said, hang on, honey. And I, I started to ask, is there an ATM anywhere within 10 miles of this place? I will run there and I will run back. And they said, yeah, at the beginning, at the front of the zoo. So if you ever need ATM, there it is. And so off I go, I'm running. I go grab the, grab the cash, running back. And I promise you, if I am lying, I'm dying. As soon as I got to the giraffe area, he turned around and he walked back into the barn. <clears throat> so I said, all right, babe, let's walk around. We'll come back. You know, it's not over yet. Let's just see if we can figure this out and do this deal. And so we're walking around doing our deal and I'm praying, God, come on, man. 
throw, throw, a guy, throw me a bone here, you know? I want to feed the draft. So we walk around and we went back. And so we went back and, and sure enough, he started making his way around the deal again. So I had my money. I was ready this time. We go up there and, and I'm praying the whole time, God, just let this draft come over here. Please, you're the God of the universe. You know, fire, Elijah. I was reading all this stuff. I knew this was going to happen. So, so here he comes and he stops. I'm not kidding you, about 15 feet from the little landing. And he was looking me dead in the eye. And I was looking him dead in the eye. And I was saying, in the name of Jesus, you better bring your skinny little tail so I can shove some lettuce down your throat. And he just stood there. And I'm telling you, he turned around and he walked away. So I said, oh, I know what we have. We have a rebellious animal here that needs to repent of his sin, you know. He is not following the Lord. That's what we have here. And so, so we left again. Walked around a little bit more and I was like, we're going to give it one more chance. And so we finally went back up there praying God's sin. He turned around and he walked around like four or five different times. And he finally came up and you guys can show the picture. My sweet daughter got to feed the giraffe. <laughs> and it made her day. And the next picture would have freaked her out if she knew this was happening. <clears throat> so if that tongue had it wrapped around her neck, now that would have been a picture. But the sweetest conversation you could have with your child is, Honey, son, we prayed about this. God answered our prayer. Isn't God awesome? Yes, he is. His name is Yahweh. He is the one true God. And whether it's something as little as a giraffe coming up to your kids or if there's cancer in your family, or if it's a marriage on the rocks, or if whatever relationship in your family is destroyed, our God is greater, and our God can heal anything. Our God can restore any relationship. If we follow and trust Him, we walk with Him by faith. Prayer changes things. We've got to get out of the neutral zone. Uh, Number three, if you're taking notes, Another key here as we talk about getting out of the neutral zone is that is if we don't, it's, it's, it's huge because our, our disobedience always leads to unpleasant consequences. Our disobedience always leads to unpleasant consequences. And so some of you today are experiencing some unpleasant consequences as a result of your disobedience. There's broken relationships. There's bitterness. There's, there's frustration in your life because you're not being obedient to the Lord. You're not following and walking with him and you're kind of just playing the, you know, the neutral zone game. And so our, our disobedience always leads to unpleasant consequences. Let's look at the next part of the story. So here's what God answers, fire, boom, consumed. And Elijah said to them, verse 40, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Yeah, they didn't teach you that in Sunday school, did they? <laughs> like he killed all of them. You think, man, that's a little harsh. I mean, shouldn't they just have free? Well, I don't know if you've ever been to the doctor and, 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 and he said you had cancer. Would you say, ah, oh, God, just take a little bit out, leave some in there? Of course not. You want it completely gone. See, this is the evil of the time. This was the cancer of the, of the culture and, and city and God takes care of all of them because there are consequences for our sins. And there are always consequences. Don't ever be fooled into thinking that, that you are not going to be held accountable for the decisions that you've made. You know, I, I went through a season of my life thinking that maybe God, you know, he wasn't, you know, he didn't know what was going on. 
or he, you know, he was letting me slide, but there was no sliding. There was no, you know, it, there was always consequences here. Sometimes we view God as like this old man in heaven, you know, with a cane, or, or he's like this old grandma, you know, when you were rebelling and you went to your grandma's house and she knew what you were doing. And she was like, honey, you got to quit doing this. You got to stop doing this, you know, follow the Lord. You know, you're like, I know, grandma, I know. See, our God is a consuming fire. He's not a grandma. Oh, man, patting us on the back, telling us to do better. And so our consequences will always be unpleasant as we uh, disobey him. And then finally, number four, we've got to get out of the neutral zone because God's blessing follows our steps of obedience. So let's continue in verse 43. As we obey, God's blessing follows. Verse 43, he said to a servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And I look back on that draft story and I wonder, was that seven times? Did God tell me to go seven times? <laughs> 20 times. It felt like verse 44. And the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode, rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran, at, ran before Ahab. I mean, here's, here's the deal. As he was following God, obeying God, now the blessing follows. And see, if you want to achieve the results God desires, you've got to become the leader God requires. And so for, for, for Elijah, as he walked in obedience, God's blessing and hand fell upon him. You see, some of us want the blessing in the hand and the great and the results and the great stuff, but we don't want to follow. We don't want to commit. And it's time for some of you to make that commitment today. It's time for some of you to take that next step of obedience. Second Chronicles 7.14, I know is a familiar passage to you. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, the healing comes after the turning. The restoration comes after the step of obedience. One of the great missionaries of our time, well, a, a long time ago, was David Livingston. And in the first, you know, kind of first touch in the continent of Africa uh, was, was David and his ministry. And so as he was ministering there, a, a group of people stateside sent him a letter in the early days. And, and this is what the letter said. It said, have you found a, a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. And Livingston wrote back, if you have men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. And folks, that's just the kind of leader and in, in, in the kind of church that I want to lead and be a part of. Like I want men who will stand up and go where there are no roads on, on, a, on a step of faith, walking with God. Uh, Brett Bundy, our missionary in Haiti, who we partner with, he said uh, this year, he was like, hey, I've got this community. I know you guys are looking for somebody to really invest into. And there's this community that, that really, they're, they're like the poorest of the poor. They need help. They need, they need the gospel and they need uh, equipping. They, they need so much. And so the only thing about this uh, uh, community is that there's no road to get to them. This quote came right to my mind. He says, if, you, if this is too hard for you guys, if that's not something you want to do, you know, then, then I understand. But they really need it. And so 
we just looked and we said, you know what? Yeah, that's where we want to go. If that's where the need is, that's where we'll go. If we need to take a machete and cut down some, and carve the path and build the road or whatever, that, that's, if that's the need, that's what we want to do. And so we sent a team just se- uh, several weeks ago and uh, they went there and started that initial uh, relationship. And so some of you, maybe God is calling you that next step to go um, to Haiti. I think it's, in the, it's coming up in a few months. Check our website. But maybe God is calling you to do that. Maybe God is calling you to step outside of your comfort zone and to walk with him in that way to change your life. Maybe for some of you, it's like walking in obedience means that, you know, you got to get in a small group because you've not really connected relationally. And you're trying to do your own deal on your own in isolation and it just causes frustration. And so that's why God designed us to be in relationship with other believers. That's why small groups are so important. We've been talking about getting uh, involved and being a game changer and getting involved in ministry. And for some of you, that's like your next step of obedience. Like you have to get involved in serving to actually grow closer to God. For some of you, you've never actually accepted Christ. And so the first step for you is like to say yes to Jesus, receive him into your life. Others of you, you've got just enough of Jesus like to be saved, but you're not walking with him. And so there's much to repent of. There's much to turn from. And there's much commitment that needs to be made. And I want to encourage you to do that today. And just by asking you a simple question, what's your next step of obedience? What's God asking you to do? As we close today, we're going to close and and share the Lord's Supper together. And um, as always, we just want to be reminded that the bread is a symbol of the broken body of Jesus. Like Mount Carmel was, was a huge battle, but the biggest battle ever fought was when Jesus went to a place called Calvary and he He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And and through that sacrifice, we're able to receive forgiveness and eternal life in our life. And so when we take the bread, we remember that his body was broken for our sin. We remember by, by drinking this juice that his blood was spilled for us and that through his sacrifice, we have a restored relationship with God. And so they're gonna hand this out. I'm just gonna encourage you guys to take this on your own. Um, James is going to lead us in a song that's going to help us in our time of reflection. Jesus tells us like when it's time to take the Lord's Supper, remember the Lord's Supper, the New Testament tells us that we're to reflect upon our life and relationship with God. So if there's sin in our life, we need to have a season and time right now of repentance before we actually take the Lord's Supper. We need to restore that relationship with him and, and spend some time in prayer as we do that. And then you take it on your own. Now, I know we've got a lot of kids in here today. And so we purposefully did this so that kids could experience this whole thing uh, together with us, worship and the Lord's Supper. But if, the, if your son or daughter has not accepted Christ, then this is not something that they should do now. This is something that you go home and you say, here's why uh, we do this. And this is what the Lord's Supper is. And uh, we take this after we've committed uh, our life to Jesus. And so this is a good teaching and, and uh, conversation piece for you guys uh, when you leave. Um, so I want to pray, ask God's blessing upon our time now and encourage you as you think through this and as you um, spend this time with the Lord, what's the next step of obedience in your life? Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.